And uh, we're going to tonight go to uh, Daniel chapter 2, if you want to turn there, as well as chapters 7 and 8. Um, there's a couple of handouts I gave you. The goldenrod sheet, I believe it is. Yeah, the goldenrod sheet. Uh, you're going to be looking at the one with the uh, image on the left side of that. And uh, that will help you, I think, comprehend a little bit what's being taught in these chapters. And then uh, the back side, there's also some, so one of the things is repetitious regarding Daniel's 77s. Uh, you know, remembering that a, a week is seven years, um, but just uh, wanted to th be familiar with that again as we go through this, and the other two illustrations on the back side of that chart will be more of Revelation 13 and 17, and so I would encourage you to take that goldenrod sheet with you next time as well. Um, and so with that all being said, I think it's important to study from Daniel and his visions uh, because, as we will see, his visions in chapter 2 and 7 are on the end times. And uh, uh, when I was looking at this on Monday, I told Jill, it's like, boy, I, I, I get it, but I don't. You know, how many have ever read the Word of God? It's like, I, I understand it, but I really don't. And, uh, and so that was Monday. I outlined everything for tonight and for next week uh, from my curriculum I'm using and so. And... Uh, and then by yesterday, I'm going, okay, I get this now. And so I said that to say, uh, just because you might not understand what I'm going to teach tonight, uh, don't beat yourself up. Um, I told someone today, I've been studying God's Word for all these years, and I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still trying to comprehend. Just a pause right here. I wanted to uh, officially, now we're going to make the announcement Sunday, but going to give a little heads up. Uh, Robert and Karen Johnson are going to be our new hospitality coordinators. And so see them about we need teams together. Yes, amen. We need teams together and those that will do the greeting and that kind of ministry. And so uh, as I shared at the annual business meeting, I know this is on tape and Jill can edit it so it's not on the internet, but basically wanting to get the hospitality teams going again, greeting those who come in. I know that, like Dave and Rose, you've been back there, and, and the other ones have kind of, and Howard's been back there and stuff too, but, but to have actual teams, and even on Wednesday night, uh, to greet people as they come in, as they're leaving as well, and just to be a little more on top of that. And so if you could, even if you don't want to do it, just do it for a few weeks through Easter, then we can get organized a little bit more. So uh, see Robert and Karen on that. We'll make the announcement Sunday as well. So I'm sitting there wanted to men mention that. But anyway, so back to Daniel. Um, there's a, there's a, the visions that Daniel gives, there's a couple of different ways to look at and, and, uh, and interpret his, his uh, visions, if you will. Um, but really both visions in chapter 2 and chapter 7 focus on the four kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Uh, the last phase of the kingdom of Rome matches John's beast in Revelation 13 and 17, which we'll get to next week. And so uh, we're getting into some areas that are going to be a little, um, not confusing, but harder to understand, but not necessarily, all right? Uh, the third vision that we see in Daniel chapter 8 uh, relates mostly to Jewish history rather than the end of time. And then so uh, I'm going to refer to this, this, mine's just on black and white, but your goldenrod sheet, this is going to be very important for tonight. 
And so as I'm going to read to you parts of chapter 2 and then chapter 7, chapter 8 of Daniel, but follow along as we go through that, and that will help us, I think, or help you with some of this. Just a quick question to my mom who has taught Revelation twice, at least twice, but is this the same kind of thing that you had handed out? We talked last night or this morning about, okay, basically, all right. Um, again, this is nothing new. There's, there's all kinds of charts you can look on the Internet and everything else. It's been kind of fun watching all that. But uh, what I want to first of all do is read Daniel chapter 2, and then we're going to uh, start with the verse 24. The first part is, is, is uh, don't want to take time for that, but it, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and basically is saying, you know, if anybody can interpret this dream, great. Uh, if, if you can't, we're going to have you killed kind of thing. I'm just summarizing the first part of, of Daniel 2, but then Daniel kind of steps in like, wait a minute, king, you know, and uh, there is a God, that type of thing. So picking up with verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon, take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Nariot took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or, or diviner can uh, explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But once again, here it is, here it is verse 20, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And then verse 29, as you are lying there, O king, uh, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have a greater wisdom uh, than the other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And that is des described them basically on the left side of figure 10-6, the handouts you have. And it says, the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the, this was the dream, and now we will interpret to the king, you, are, you, O king, are the king of kings. Uh, the God of heaven has given you dominion, and, and by the way, king of kings is little, little K's, not capital K's, so just keeping that in mind. Uh, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hand he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold. Speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar, then in verse 39, After you another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw 
that the feet and the toes were partly baked of baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of, of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay, speaking of the feet. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom would be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united for any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. Nor will it be left to other people. I added the hallelujah, by the way. All right. Uh, it will crush all, the other, uh, all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will, self, it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This dream, or the dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, interesting, uh, and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. All right, that's just chapter 2. We have 7 and 8 to go to. So, that all being said, we're going to talk about four, letter A on your outline, four key questions of the vision of Daniel chapter 2. And this will bring it into hopefully understanding for us. Uh, the first question, in what ways were the kingdoms of silver, bronze, and iron inferior? Uh, going back to verses 20, uh, 31 and 33, You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head was made of gold, its arms and chest of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly baked clay. Now, the four different metals here describe four successive kingdoms. All right? Time Keep this in mind. I'm going to say this more than once tonight. As you look at that image on, on uh, figure 10-6, Visions in Daniel, uh, time flows down the statue like sand flows through an hourglass. So it starts up here and time is going down this way, all right, on that statue. The statue shows the historical order of the kingdoms. Babylon was first, it was followed by Medo-Persia, then Greece, then finally Rome. Moving down the statue, the metals decrease in value. In other words, each metal as you go down the statue is, is worth less than the previous the metal. All right, so gold's more important than silver. Silver's more important than bronze. You get the idea. All right, so the metals uh, uh, go down in, in value. Uh, Babylon was first. It was followed by, I said, Medo Persia, then Greece and Rome. Moving, moving down then, uh, let's look at some reasons. The kingdoms of silver, bronze, and iron were inferior. First of all, the gold head represents the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, Babylon, sometimes called Chaldea, was a glorious kingdom. It was known for its gold, uh, great walls, iron gates, hanging gardens. Isaiah called her the jewel of kingdoms in Isaiah 13, 19. 
Uh, Babylon's king was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a powerful dictator with complete authority. Babylon. The silver chest and arms represents the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. They conquered Babylon. You can see that as well in the, in the years there as well. Uh, Media was the ancient name for, interesting, northwest Iran. Persia is modern Iran. The kingdom was known for very strict laws, Daniel 6, 8. Medo-Persia was inferior to Babylon as silver is inferior to gold. Uh, uh, Daniel 2.39, King Cyrus of Persia and King Darius of Media shared power. Uh, this was an inferior kingdom to Babylon because it was a divided kingdom. Neither of its leaders nor its people were united. Uh, a, a divided kingdom is always an inferior kingdom. All right, And so we have that going for Medo-Persia, two different rulers, leaders. We'll get to more of that in a little bit. And then the bronze belly and the thighs represents the kingdom of Greece. You can see that, number three. Uh, the Greeks conquered the Medo-Persia kingdom. Uh, the leader of the Greeks was Alexander the Great. Are these names coming to mind a little bit of studying that history? Alexander the Great was the leader. Uh, bronze is inferior to silver and uh, gold. Likewise, the kingdom of Greece was inferior to both Babylon and Medo-Persia. Greece was inferior because it did not respect God. The leaders of Babylon and Medo-Persia learned to respect God and His revelations, but the Greeks created their own gods and worshipped idols. Above that, the Greeks sought to destroy the Jews, Daniel 7 and 8. A kingdom that does not respect God is an inferior kingdom. So we're going down in, 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 in order here. Um, and then it appears that the Roman kingdom... Um, uh, let me just go back a little bit here. Alexander the Great had a measure of worldly uh, wisdom. He was a student of Aristotle, uh, the famous Greek teacher. He showed uh, excellent mil military wisdom um, at 16 years of age. Any 16-year-olds here tonight? No. At 16 years of age, uh, Alexander led an army to victory in battle at 16 years of age. In time, he conquered Darius and, and all the nations around him. Uh, we'll talk about his weakness in death as we go on tonight. Uh, so that was the, 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 the kingdom of, of Greece. Then we have that of Rome, the fourth one. Uh, it appears the Roman kingdom has two phases, an early phase and a later phase. The iron legs represent the early phase of the kingdom of Rome. Now, John and his readers in, the, in this early phase of the Roman kingdom, had, he had talked about that, the early or first phase of the Roman kingdom began in 63 B.C. Once again, I've given you the, the charts on back, a couple timelines on back. You can see some of that as well. And you can also see the, the years on, on 10, uh, 10, 6, figure 10.6. Uh, the kingdom of Rome became divided like the two legs of the statue. The city of Rome was the capital of the Western Division. The Western Division lasted until A.D. 476. Uh, the, capital, the capital of the Eastern Division was Constantinople, uh, modern Istanbul. It was named after Emperor Constantine. The, uh, the eastern part of the Roman Empire lasted until A.D. 1453. Notice the contrast between the iron legs and the feet of iron and clay. All right. Uh, the feet of iron and clay represent the later uh, phase of the Roman kingdom. Recall, once again, that time flows downward through the statue. In the early part of the Roman kingdom, there was only iron with no clay. 
but in the latter part, all right, the second phase, if you will, uh, there is clay mixed with iron for the feet. Once again, figure 10.6 shows the revised Roman Empire as, as, as 4B then talks about on that chart way down toward, toward the bottom there. Um, interesting, the Antichrist will rule, I want you to say this slow, the Antichrist will rule the latter phase of the Roman kingdom. Now that's kind of where it all comes to, to a head here. Uh, the ten toes of the statue represent ten kings. These will be the allies of the Antichrist. Uh, Daniel describes these ten kings more clearly uh, later, Daniel 7 as well. Uh, and we're going to study more about that in a little bit here. But like uh, John, like Daniel, describes these ten kings as ten horns in Revelation 17 next week's lesson. Now, how are the two phases of the Roman kingdom inferior to the earlier kingdoms? Well, they're inferior in a couple of ways. First of all, both phases of the Roman kingdom lack unity. Many people hated the Caesars. Likewise, the beast and the ten kings will hate the capital city of the empire. Thus, both phases of the Roman kingdom are divided. Secondly, uh, the Roman kingdom also lacked godly leaders. The Caesars and the Antichrist demand to be worshipped. They have no respect for God. They have no respect for God's word. And so a kingdom or a nation is only as good as its leaders. God help America. Rome was and will be, the, now I'll deal with that a little bit too, but Rome was and will be the most inferior kingdom because of the inferior leaders. All right, so number one, in what ways was the kingdoms of silver, bronze, and iron inferior? There it is. Number two, question two, what is the relationship between the kings and the kingdoms? Daniel sometimes uses the word king when we would expect him to use the word kingdom. Now, does the head, does the gold head on the statue represent then a king or a kingdom? Well, for Daniel, key, it represents both. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 2.38, you are that head of gold. So you, king, are that head of gold. So the head of gold is a king. Then one would expect then the silver chest to be a king. And we might expect Daniel to say, you, and after you, another king will rise. But instead, Daniel says in chapter 239, after you, another kingdom will rise. And so, once again, great kingdoms and great kings go together. Daniel has no problem in his writing, keep this in mind, of, of substituting the word king for kingdom. An example, once again, is Daniel 7, 17. These great beasts, which are four in number and four kings, will arise from the earth. Well, he's speaking of four kingdoms, all right? A nation, once again, is known by its leaders, and a kingdom is known by its king. And so John, Revelation, John, like Daniel, unites a king and his kingdom. Always remember this. It will help you to understand other difficult passages as you read this and as you study this. Uh, for example, the, uh, Revelation 17, 11, we'll get to this next week. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. 
What does that mean? We'll get to that next week. All right. Uh, also notice in Revelation 17, 11, John equates the kingdom with the king and the king. We will study more about this, as I said, next week. But just for now, underline the fact that you cannot separate the king and the kingdom. They are one and the same. They are together. Now, sometimes people want to separate the king, but, or, or want the kingdom, but not the king. Uh, this was true the first time that Jesus came. Many wanted the kingdom. They wanted Jesus to free them from the Romans. The, they wanted the freedom. They wanted the power. They wanted the wealth of the kingdom. But here, and this is an age-old problem, they didn't want the king to rule over them. Think about Christianity today. People, people want to get saved. They want their, their fire insurance paid, but they don't want to surrender to the lordship of Christ. Just a little tidbit of teaching and a little preaching right there. But, but ba- basically, um, people back then wanted the kingdom without the king, but people haven't changed. People want Christ as Savior today, but not as Lord. Uh, they want the kingdom and all of its benefits. They want the benefits of the gospel. They want love, joy, peace, and, and, and all this, but they don't want his rulership over their life. It's impossible. Bottom line is no one gets the kingdom without the king. All right, and so Daniel helps us understand this, that you cannot separate the king from the kingdom. Those who reject the king reject the inheritance of the kingdom. Going on. Three, is the stone a king or a kingdom? Question three. Uh, And going back to Daniel 2, 34 and 35, while you were watching a rock was cut out, a stone, but, but not by human hands. It was struck, uh, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. Read that earlier. And so then it goes on. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, the stone describes both the king and the kingdom. Now, many verses from the Old Testament and the New Testament identify Christ as that rock, as that stone. For example, uh, Isaiah 28, verse 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. We have the stone which the builders rejected has become the capstone from Psalm 118, verse 22, Luke 20, verse 17, Acts 4, verse 11. We have in 1 Peter 2, 4, also 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. Uh, you have come to him, the living stone, speaking of Christ, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. And then we have Romans chapter 9, 32 and 33. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And so keep in mind that the stone here is a man, capital N, the, the Son of God. Basically, it's Christ, is what, is what he's saying. And so it is Christ who strikes the statue at, on the feet. It is the King of Kings who, re, who returns to restore, or I should say, to destroy the kingdom of the beast. And that's Revelation chapter 19. Still, it is the kingdom 
not the king that grows and fills the earth. There is a sense in which Christ fills the universe, Ephesians 4.10, but Daniel chapter 2.35 describes a physical kingdom that spreads throughout the earth. Thus the stone represents both the king and his kingdom. They exist together. The kingdom begins small and grows. It grows in a person's life. Once you accept Christ, hopefully there's growth in your life, and it's not just a one-time thing, but it's growing and as, it, as it should grow in everybody's life. And as you share the kingdom of God with others, the kingdom of God grows. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so his, he is king, and this is his kingdom in that sense. And so the stone is a king and a kingdom. It's his about Christ. Number four, question four, when does the stone strike the statue? Now, remember that there are two phases to the kingdom of God. The prophets, and this is good here, the prophets often describe the kingdom as if there were only one phase. They did not separate the first coming of Christ with the second coming of Christ. Why? Because they only saw one coming. Many Jews, for example, did not recognize Jesus when he came the first time. Why? Because they were looking for Jesus to arrive in, the way, in, a, in a way that, that he will come the second time. And, and, and so the prophets were like the man who saw a mountain far away. He did not realize that he was looking at two mountains. The second mountain was several miles further from the first mountain, but there was a great valley between them. And so as he looked at the first mountain, got closer, then behind that you could see the second mountain. And so not everything is visible or clear. When you might see something, there might be more to it than what you're seeing is what I'm saying. Well, the Gospels focus on the first phase of the kingdom of God. Many did not notice that the kingdom had come when Christ had come, many missed their day of visitation, you recall. The early phase of the kingdom begins quietly like a seed dropping in the ground. It grows like corn, like a mustard seed, like leaven. Thus, from one point of view, Jesus struck the kingdoms of earth at his birth. That was the beginning of it. This was during the early Roman kingdom. The kingdom of God began quietly filling the earth when Jesus came the first time. But the second phase of the kingdom will not be quiet and it won't be slow, all right? Uh, it will come loudly and it will come suddenly. Every eye will see him, Revelation 1-7. Daniel does not write about the early phase of the kingdom of God. He saw a stone smash the feet of the statue on that diagram I gave you. He saw a vision of the second coming of the king and the kingdom. The stone of Daniel 2 and the white horse rider of Revelation 19 are different visions of the second coming. And so the kingdom has come, and yet we still pray today, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It is here, but it hasn't come in its fullness yet. All right. When the king comes the second time, the kingdom will come like Daniel saw it. The stone will shatter the kingdoms of the world. Then, as Daniel said, the kingdom of God will fill the earth. So we have those four questions then of that. You know, so keep, it, keep this all in mind as we go on then into Daniel chapter 7. How many are really confused right now? Hopefully not. The diagram will really, I think, will help you. Daniel chapter 7, 
A lot of reading, I know, but um, it's important. Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed, and he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there were before me, uh, before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each, from, uh, di each different from the others, came out of the sea. The first, now when I'm reading this, kind of look over at the second column on the sheet here. All right, this column right here. Boom, boom. And that will help you then, and it says vision in Daniel chapter 7. And so, where was I at there? The first, verse 4, was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on the two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. I'll explain that in a little bit. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads and was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision, verse 7, I looked at night. I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts it, and it had ten horns. Uh, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns uh, were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and, and the Ancient of Days took his seat." His clothing was white as snow, his hair, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flame. I get excited when I read about the throne of God. I just, I love this. I just like, wow, this is so cool. Uh, his throne was, was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch uh, before or because the boastful words the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Verse 12, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And it goes on. I, Daniel, verse 15, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. He told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. 
which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. Bronze claws was not mentioned earlier, but it's mentioned now. Uh, bronze claws signifying once it latches onto something, it's going to be dominant, it's going to be in control. Uh, so it had bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before there, which three of them fell, the horn that looked more impos imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Uh, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear in the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones, and he will subdue three kings. He spoke against the Most High and oppresses his saints and tries to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time, three and a half years. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. This is the end. Uh, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, but my, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Let me breathe, get a drink of water, and I'll read chapter 8. I know it's a lot of reading, and I would encourage you, if you don't get this, keep on reading this. Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Chapter 8. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the uh, Ulai Canal. Uh, you can say it two different ways. I looked up, and there before me was a, man, a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but the other grew up later. I watched the ram as he was charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue, uh, none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Verse 5. And as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn <clears throat> between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in a great rage. I saw him attack the ram uh, furiously, uh, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in his place four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. We'll get it to Alexander and his four generals in a minute. Uh, verse 9, out of, them, or out of one of them came another horn which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east 
toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on, on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a, a holy one speaking and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconstructed. Okay, now it goes to the interpretation of this. Verse 15, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell the man, this man, the meaning of the vision. And as he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand, this is Gabriel talking, understand that the vision concerning, uh, concerns the end, uh, the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep and with my, with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. And he said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replaced the first one was, was broken off represents the four kingdoms that will emerge from this, his nation, but will not have the same power. So once again, as you go down those illustrations, they become lesser and lesser in importance. Uh, verse 23, almost done. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He'll become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, yet he'll be destroyed not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. And then Daniel says, I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. So, quick word before I dig into this a little deeper. If things were beyond Daniel's understanding, we're not going to get it all. Okay, so keep that in mind. It's okay not to... It's okay to want to know everything, but be, be okay with not knowing everything. All right. You're not going to understand everything there's no. So uh, I read Daniel 7 and 8. Uh, keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar saw a great statue. Daniel 2 read that. These four medals represented four kingdoms. Then Daniel saw four beasts. Daniel 7. We believe these beasts represent the same four kingdoms of the statue. Just saying it differently. All right. Um, later, Daniel saw a ram and a goat in Daniel 8. 
we think these, these represent two kingdoms the, of Medo-Persia and Greece. In other words, God gave Daniel different ways of looking at all four major kingdoms. The gold head and the lion represents Babylon. The silver chest and uh, the silver chest, the bear and the ram represent Medo-Persia. The bronze belly, the leopard, and the, and the leopard could be even a ram. But, and the goat represent Greece. The iron legs and the beast with ten horns represent Rome. Now, why would God give Daniel uh, all these different visions about the same kingdoms? Well, the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 1.13... I think it is right to refresh your memory. So Peter reminded believers of what they already knew. He told them the same thing a second time. Our greatest need is not for new truth. Our greatest need is to be reminded of the truth we already know. All right, generality. Our greatest need is for that. So God, you recall, even God gave uh, uh, gave a pharaoh the same dream two different times, which emphasized the certainty of what God was saying. Uh, repetition helps you and I to remember. Repeating a truth is like hitting a nail. Each hit drives it in deeper. Evangelist D.L. Moody used to tell the same illustrations over and over. Bottom line is, people pay attention to what a preacher emphasizes the most. Now, I won't ask you tonight because of time. I only got 15 minutes left, uh, left, but I won't ask you what phrases do I repeat often because I can give you uh, several that I do, and you know, I can start them, and you'll, you'll finish my quote. But anyway, recall that Jesus also liked to tell parables, or uh, even, even two or three about the same thing. For example, the parable of the weeds and the net emphasize the same truth. The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast emphasize a truth. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl emphasize one truth. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son all emphasize one truth. And so God has shown us many ways, even you know, that he loves us, and he show, shows us that, but basically there's repetition involved, and this is what's happening in the book of Daniel in chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8. God gives him visions basically of the same thing, kind of at seeing it different ways. That's what I want to get across. And so uh, another, another thing is God gave us four Gospels, four different writers telling us basically the same things, each a little different view, each adds their, you know, whatever to it. But uh, uh, likewise for Daniel, the second vision of the four kingdoms repeats and adds insights to what God gave him in chapter 2. Now, let's look at then the, the, each of these four beasts. They rose from the sea of mankind, Revelation 17, uh, 1 and 15 say. Uh, the four winds of heaven, Daniel 7, 2, blew the sea of humanity, uh, which suggests that heaven guides and controls, check this out, the events and governments of earth. I kind of laugh to myself as I'm going through this. You know, I, I, think, I think, you know, mankind, leaders, be it presidents, rulers, kings, or whatever in the world today, think they're all high and mighty, and it's like they don't realize, they don't know God's word. They don't know that God lifts up and God tears down. And it's like, guys, come on. You know, don't take a better view of yourself than, than what you should, you know. Um, and so let's look at this. Then the four different beastly kingdoms uh, we'll study here. First of all, the Bab uh, Babylon is the lion. And this is, look at, um, 
these three now. Daniel 7, Daniel uh, 7, uh, that one's 8, 8 and 8. So kind of keep this in mind as we go through this and see how then they relate to what Daniel had shared. So first of all, uh, the five kingdoms in Daniel 7 8. Number one, Babylon the lion. Babylon was a great kingdom. The walls around the city were 300 feet high. They were wide enough at the top for four chariots to travel side by side. Those are some thick walls. Those are some big walls. Daniel saw a lion with the wings of an eagle, Daniel 7, 4. Uh, the gold head in the statue was like Nebuch was, was Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom of Babylon. Gold is the king of metals like the lion is the king of the animals and the eagle is the king of the birds. Babylon ruled like a lion over the animal kingdom. It soared and flew over the nations. I mean, Babylon was fierce. It was cruel. A lion is bad enough on four feet. Consider a lion that could fly. How fierce that lion would be, all right? How could anyone escape it? Babylon was as terrible as a flying lion. Daniel saw the wings were torn off of the lion. Probably refers to the time that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. All right, he became insane, lasted for, uh, for seven times, that is seven years. It's one thing to clip the wings of a bird so it can't fly, but Nebuchadnezzar lost his wings completely. His ability to rule was taken away from him. Babylon became as common as any other lion, if you will. The lion stood on two feet like a man, it tells us. And God gave the beast the heart of a man. Uh, here we see a great change in the character of Nebuchadnezzar. If you read about him, God changed him from a beast to a human. You recall that he learned, Nebuchadnezzar learned to respect and worship God. Daniel 4, 37 says, uh, Some Bible teachers say that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, as a king, then was converted. We don't know that for sure. Um, nothing's beyond God's possibility. We might see him in heaven. It'd be kind of awesome if we did. We don't know that for sure. Uh, but God can save the worst of sinners. So we have Babylon, number one, the lion. Number two, Medo-Persia, the bear and the ram. After the lion, Daniel saw a beast like a bear. Now, three things that should be, we should know about the bear. First of all, the bear represents the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. This is the same kingdom that the silver chest and arm shows in Daniel chapter 2, as you can see in the diagram. Number, number one. Number two, the bear was raised up on one side, Daniel 7, 5, which describes Persia being stronger than Media in the Medo-Persia Empire. It was Cyrus of Persia who conquered Babylon. Likewise, likewise, it was the Persians who conquered Egypt. Thirdly, the bear had three ribs in its mouth. These aren't barbecue ribs, guys. These are representative of three kingdoms that Medo-Persia conquered. They conquered Lydia in 546 B.C., Babylon in 539, and Egypt in 525. Once again, I'm going through this. You're going, what is he talking about? Re-listen to it on the tape. On, on the recording, it'll be on the internet, the tape. I always say tape because I'm cassette tape and eight-track tape. Uh, all right, anyway. Uh, so, later Daniel saw the vision of a ram, Daniel 8, 1 through 4. There are two things that we should note about the ram. The ram, number one, with two horns, represents the kings of Medo-Persia. The silver in the statue and the bear also represent this same kingdom. Can you see now the repetition, chapter 2, 7, and 8? Secondly, the ram's horns were not the same length. It had a long horn and a short one. Later, the short one grew longer than the long horn. The two horns represented Media and Persia. Persia was stronger than Media. 
And you say, well, what, so what? Why are you telling us this? Well, the rise and fall of kingdoms illustrates the big theme of Daniel. His theme, once again, is who's in control? God is in control. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, Daniel 4, 17, and He gives them to anyone He wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Now, the lion represented Babylon. The kingdom fell to Medo-Persia. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar's son, King Belshazzar, did not respect God. So Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel spoke of uh, words of judgment to the king, Daniel 5, 22 and 23. Because you have not humbled yourself, it went on and on. You did not honor the God who holds his life in his life, your, your, your life, and call in, in, in all your ways. And so basically, and it says in Daniel 5, 30 and 31, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. All right, we're about to move on to the third beast, but what happened to the bear, the second beast? Well, Daniel prophesied that Greece would rule over the Medo-Persia, uh, oh, after Medo-Persia. Uh, the history books tell us how Medo-Persia, the bear, fell. King Xerxes became the ruler in Persia. He decided to conquer Greece. Uh, so he led 300,000 soldiers and 30 ships against Greece. But it was not God's plan for Persia to conquer Greece. How did God defeat this great king and his army? The Lord gave the Greeks the wisdom to conquer the army of 300,000. The Greeks waited until the Persians came to a narrow pass in the mountains. Only a few soldiers could come through it. There, the Greeks destroyed the Persian army as they tried to come through the pass. So the Lord also, the Lord destroyed the ships with wind and water. He sent a great storm that sank the 300 Persian ships. Uh, King Xerxes was very angry. He took off his belt and beat the waves of the sea. Later, God defeated, I love this, God defeated Alexander, the king of Greece, by sending one mosquito. More about that in a minute. God, church, is in control. Nebuchadnezzar spoke a, a true words about the Almighty. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Daniel 4.35. Then we come to Greece. Thirdly, the leopard and the goat. There are four things to know about the leopard. Leopard also in some translations, the, the panther you'll see in different translations. The leopard represents the kingdom of Greece. In the statue, the bronze belly stands for Greece. The first ruler of Greece was Alexander the Great. The leopard, secondly, is inferior to the first two beasts. The leopard is not as kingly as, uh, as, as a lion, nor is it as strong as the bear. We have already studied that the value of four metals decreases as it goes down the statue. Likewise, in Daniel's vision of the four beasts, each beast is inferior to the beast before it. Thirdly, the leopard has four wings of a bird. These are not as royal as the eagle's wings or the lion. The wings show that the kingdom, that this kingdom can spread quickly. The four wings may show that the kingdom of Greece spread in all four directions. Notice that the wings are mentioned before the heads, which may show that the kingdom spread before it was divided. And then the fourth thing here is that the four heads of the leopard represent four, the four generals of Alexander. Now, interesting, Alexander the Great, if you've studied him or studied history, he conquered very swiftly like a leopard. 
But the youthful Alexander lacked wisdom from God. He lived a very reckless life. He ate and drank wildly and worshipped idols. After, once after drinking a lot of wine, he threw his sword. It hit and killed his best friend. Weeping, he said, I have conquered others, but I cannot conquer myself. Self-discipline was a stranger to Alexander. Still, his biggest mistake was trying to rebuild Babylon as the capital city. Alexander, he read lots of books. Uh, as I said, he was a student of Aristotle, uh, yet he did not know the word of God. Kings make mistakes. Leaders of the world today make mistakes because they don't know the Bible. He did not know the scripture. It was his greatest weakness. It appears he was not aware of a promise God gave about Babylon. Through Isaiah, God promised that Babylon would be destroyed and never rebuilt. Isaiah chapter 13, 19, and 20. With plenty of men and money, Alexander went to rebuild Babylon. How did God defend his word? How did the Almighty defeat one of the world's greatest generals and army? The Lord sent one mosquito. Within a few days, Alexander the Great died of malaria. They buried him at the age of 33. Babylon remains barren as God said it would be. It pays to study God's word and respect what God's word says. Friends, if God can take out a leader like Alexander with malaria because of a mosquito bite, you know, whatever, God, God lifts up and puts down kings and kingdoms. All right. After the four beasts, Daniel saw another vision. In this vision, he, uh, we, he saw a ram and a goat. And a goat, excuse me. But there are five things we should note about the goat, Greece. The goat in Daniel represents the kingdom of Greece. It's the third of Daniel's visions. Number two, the goat defeated the ram. This shows that Greece defeated the Medo-Persia. Uh, thirdly, when Alexander died, his four generals each took a part of his kingdom. Uh, the four generals are represented by the, four, the goat's four horns. The Bible does not include the history of Alexander the Great and the Greek kingdoms, kingdom. Sometimes this period is called the intertestament period. It's between the Old and New Testaments. During this time, the Jews in Palestine suffered greatly because of Syria and Egypt. Almost done here. Number five, the worst Greek enemy of the Jews was Antiochus IV or Antiochus Epiphanes. Daniel saw him as a long horn that grew out of one of these four horns. Antiochus called himself Theos Epiphanes. Those Greek words mean God revealed. He was trying to put himself up as God. He was a very, very evil ruler. Uh, equates scholars... Commentaries equate uh, Antiochus Epiphanes with the Antichrist. I mean, the same character, same destruction, whatever. The Jews are referred to as the host of the heavens, Daniel 8.10. The angel that interprets the vision helps us understand uh, Daniel 8.10. And so he, real, he revealed the host of heaven refers to the holy people. The Jews are holy because they belong to God. No, Antiochus acted as if he was demon-possessed. He declared himself to be God. He put an idol uh, of the Greek god Jupiter in the temple. We refer to this evil act as an abomination because God hated it. Then, interesting, Antiochus poured pig soup over the altar to the Jews. The pig was an unholy, unclean animal. 
Antiochus also stopped the daily sacrifices in the temple. He was an evil man over a small area, but the Antichrist will be the devil in the flesh ruling the whole world when that time comes. Now, how long did Antiochus persecute the Jews? The angel told Daniel about a period of 2,300 evenings and mornings. Uh, the prophecies of Antiochus go beyond him to the Antichrist, but go on. And then finally, Rome, the beast with ten horns. The beast was too terrible to compare with any animal. The fourth beast represents the Roman kingdom. And the statue of Daniel 2, be on your paper there, we noted two phases of the Roman kingdom. The iron legs represented the first phase of the kingdom. The feet of iron and clay represented the second phase of the Roman kingdom. Recall once again that time flows downward on the statue. Daniel's fourth beast emphasizes the second final phase of the Roman kingdom. If you have kids, you can be dismissed, get them. I got about less than five minutes left. Um, thirdly, the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this, the Roman, the Roman uh, kingdom, Daniel 7, 24. Uh, once again, two phases of the Roman kingdom. In the first phase of the kingdom, uh, they, uh, think of the ten horns uh, as still in the head of the beast. Horns grow out of the beast's head. In the first phase, the ten kingdoms existed as ten nations conquered by Rome. Then, uh, Thus they were within the Roman kingdom and were part of it. However, in the second phase of the Roman kingdom, ten horns grow out of the head of the Roman beast. Number four, the Antichrist comes after the ten kings receive power. And Daniel saw the Antichrist as a little horn that rose among the ten horns. This shows us the ten horns were all ruling at the same time. The Antichrist conquers three of the ten kings and rules the earth. We'll get into more of this next week as we get into uh, Revelation 13 and 17. A couple more things here. Number, uh, another one, number five, do not confuse the little horn of the fourth beast with the little horn of the third beast. The little horn of the third beast was Antiochus Epiphanes. He ruled part of the Greek kingdom after the four generals of Alexander talked about. But the little horn of the fourth beast is the Antichrist. He will rule over the second phase of the Roman kingdom. Once we get into that, we'll get into that more uh, once again next week. Uh, now, why do we believe the Antichrist rule over the second phase of the Roman kingdom? Well, the fourth beast represents Rome. And the little horn represents the Antichrist, and it comes upon the head of the fourth or Roman beast. And so, saying a lot here, once again, hopefully the diagram will help you. Uh, the Antichrist, we know, will persecute and kill this, the saints, the holy Jews, for three and a half years. Finally, we come to point number five, the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom. Deuteronomy, uh, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Always remember the big theme of Daniel, God is in control. I love this, and I posted this yesterday. Uh, in the spirit, Daniel prophesied history before it happened. For example, he predicted that Greece would conquer the Medes and the Persians. Uh, he predicted this about 200 years before it happens. Once again, church, God knows the beginning from the end and all things. Who's going to rule? Who's going to reign? Who's going to take their place? I mean, God knows all that. He holds the whole world in his hands. He raises up one kingdom. He puts down another. The ruler at the top is God. All earthly rulers are far below, far, far below God. 
The day is coming when kingdoms made by human hands will end. Daniel reveals the kingdom of the Antichrist, but he also reveals the kingdom of the only true Christ, Jesus Christ. In Daniel, we saw four kingdoms of man, a statue with different metals representing these kingdoms, but then a stone not made by human hands struck the statue in the feet. Uh, Satan may think he's going somewhere and trying to execute his plan, but guess what? God has the last word. We'll pick it up from there next week. Read, if you will. Reread Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, but then read in context, because it's all going to tie together, uh, Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 for next week as we continue on. And we see then some of this take place then from John's perspective but hopefully this helps to uh, see Daniel's visions from a little different perspective. Now, did it really confuse you? I know some of you are like, wow, that's a lot to take in. Um, it's a lot to take in. Re-listen to the tape, to the, to the recording. Re-listen to that. Re-read this. It will make sense. It will make sense as you continue to read and study it all. God bless you all. Have a great week. Hope to see you Sunday.